Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Evolution Podcast. I'm excited to be here. And I'm not sure what episode number I'm on. I didn't look before I started recording this. So I'm just going to say to this episode. (laughs) And I want to dig in a little bit today on burnout. And you might even be here listening to this podcast because you took my burnout quiz. And I think that burnout is a really important gateway path into regulation because my definition of burnout is that we have we're experiencing a mismatch between the inputs and the outputs. So outputs being things like our production, showing up for other people, expression, creation, engagements, co-regulating of others, everything that requires energy, life force, expression, thought form to be moving out of our system into the world. It's a really important part of life, right? And then we've got input. So what's charging us up? What's fueling us? What's bringing in the fuel that we're using to create. And so when there's a mismatch between the inputs and the outputs, we're in what I call burnout. So for me, burnout is a state. And I know there's lots of ways to think about all of these things and lots of ways to use vocabulary words, which I just find delightfully fascinating. So I just want to be clear what I'm meaning about burnout, because you could call this state, you might call it something else. You don't have to call it burnout. But it's where there's more going out than is coming in and or that what's coming in isn't able to be metabolized or it's not nourishing can be something that we also see in burnout. There's maybe enough coming in, um, but it's not usable where it's not kind of translating. And we can talk about some of the reasons why that might be so mismatch, input and output. Now, I don't know about you, but just about every example of adulting that I had as a child <laughs> was, it, it was, um, and it, it just showed this, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh like that, but okay. It was, it was this absolute burnout, right? It was just this complete mismatch. Um, my parents, bless them were just such examples of this place where there was more going out more going out than coming in so i really think of my mom um when i think about this as well and i remember her sitting me down i maybe i was 12ish and she was like, I want to teach you about self-care because I have been so bad at it and I've been so bad at showing it to you. And I really want you to understand self-care. And I don't really remember what she said, anything beyond that in terms of what self-care she was teaching me or talking about necessarily. It just stood out to me that place where she was recognizing that this was had not been something that she had been the example of that she wanted to be, and she didn't want to pass down some of her own stuff. And um, I really appreciate that about both my parents, that they were willing to out themselves on some of these things, even though they didn't have the tools, they didn't necessarily know what to do about it. 
Um, they didn't want to pretend it was normal. So, and yet that imprint was normal for me to see. And so while I appreciated what my mom has said, I can't, I can't actually tell you what she taught me about self-care um, in a way that kind of made a difference. And I think that by that point, the imprint of martyr was much stronger by the time I was 12. And I'd really learned an orientation to life of self-sacrifice in service of something. Um, some of us have the self-sacrifice towards individuals, right? Like we, and that was my mom, like she self-sacrificed for her family, for her children. And for me, my self-sacrifice has always been a little bit more on the kind of the more global scale or, or more for like the mission. (laughs) Sometimes that mission was a show that I was creating. Um, Sometimes it's been social justice. So, you know, we can have it on sort of the individual scale or more of the universal scale, but a lot of us have this place where we have been taught either overtly or covertly that our life is here to serve others. And I love that. I love service. I love being able to make a difference in other people's lives. And I think where we forgot to fill in the blank was that if I have lots to give, if I want to be of service, I have to be a receiving just maven, right? So what really shifted it for me many years ago, I really wanted to have a greater impact with my work. I was really coming into full commitment of mentorship and coaching and really loving the work that I was getting to do, but really finding that something wasn't quite landing in the rollout of the work. And as I sat with the curiosity of how can I have a greater impact? How can I be of more service? How can I really guide people to this place that I know is available. I know we're meant to live there. I know it's how we're meant to be in relationship to ourselves. How can I do this? And of course, all of these ideas about what I could create and, and all of that flooded in and I was immediately exhausted. And as I sat with that feeling of exhaustion, rather than trying to just push through it or ignore it or dull down the creations, dial them back, make them small enough that I could manage them. I just sat with that feeling of creation and it required me to make a lot of decisions and changes in many things. But the meta lesson that I learned was I cannot give more than I have received. I can't continue to operate with my output and my input being so mismatched. And that was where the tide really began to shift in my burnout. I was in my late thirties. I had been experiencing signs of burnouts for over a decade. I got a job. I got a tenure track position in my twenties because looking at my resume, cause you didn't, we don't put birthdays on CVs on curriculum Vita for academics. Um, and so they had no idea how old I was. And looking at my Vita, the assumption was I was a decade older than I was. And so when I show up this like little 27 year old, um, (laughs) you know, this this child, I was 27, so young, um, 
I felt really old at the time, but looking back, like so young, 27. And, you know, they were shocked that I was so young, but I had done so much by that point in my career because I was driven by output and I was driven by opportunity. And I was really just gung-ho about the go. And so not too long after that, I, you know, began to experience signs of burnout and the way that my system dealt with that was to push through, to keep going. And I accepted the health issues. I accepted the mental health issues. I accepted all of these maladaptions in my system in service towards my output, towards my creations, towards my teaching, towards more time with students, more classes on the books, more, you know, shows, all of these things. I thought that I was making a sacrifice in the right way. And it took a long time to recognize one, that I didn't actually have to give up anything that I was doing necessarily. Um, I do think often when we come into this balance of our inputs and our outputs with our resourcing, that it it can change our values in a way that maybe we're not. I'm not as gung-ho about the go anymore. Um, But I think that that first place was like, I had to, I had to wrestle with the part of me that was afraid I was going to lose something if I took care of myself. And I'm just wondering if anyone else has that match. I'm going to lose a person Um, in my life. I'm going to lose their love. I'm going to lose their respect. I'm going to lose the relationship. I'm going to lose this opportunity. I'm going to lose my seat at the table. I'm going to lose something if I receive. And what I want us to, to recognize, no matter how that voice or that pattern shows up for you, it's not freaking personal. It has absolutely nothing to do with you. That voice that you're hearing, that pressure that you're experiencing is absolutely simply survival energy. It's just the survivalness of the human species putting pressure on you. And survival doesn't, it doesn't care if we're burned out, sadly enough, right? Survival is not interested in the quality. It's just interested in the ongoingness. Right. So survival doesn't care if you've got an autoimmune disease. Survival doesn't actually take into account that your mental health is suffering. Survival is the goingness, the ongoingness, the continue to keep it up for the whole species, right? Not even about you personally. So we have to really stop listening to that voice that is so afraid of what it's going to lose. It's not personal. And more than likely, anything that we would lose by taking care of ourselves, it probably wasn't really ours in a way that it was healthy or reciprocal or supportive to begin with. And so it might hurt, it might be sad, but ultimately, if it's requiring us not to take care of ourselves, we probably need to shift it anyway, right? So, but let's talk about this place of norms. So when burnout is normal, right? When the mismatch of input and output has become normal and our system becomes set there, our system becomes 
it's it's operating from that place, right? Our regulations operating through this set point of less resources and more output. What's what happens? So let's remember that the norm is what the body's going to follow. Whatever has been made normal through our nervous system, the body's going to follow. Normal isn't, there is no, there is no automatic norm, right? Homeostasis is subjective and it takes into a lot of factors, including our own DNA codes, including epigenetic coding, including environmental, sociopolitical, all of these things go into creating the norm for you. And norms also get set into our system based on ongoingness based on like it's happened many times and it becomes normal, right? So the first time we experience something, it might be novel. It might be different. It might be, um, you know, out of the norm, but if we keep experiencing it, if it, if it keeps happening, it becomes normal, even crazier or absolutely normal around this is that So much of our brain doesn't actually need to experience something to perceive it as normal. So, excuse me, when we're a kid and we're noticing the imprints around us, we're receiving the imprints around us from what we're noticing, what we're perceiving, what we're detecting in the way that other people are operating emotionally, mentally, physically, energetically, that's helping to create the norm for us, right? So when we talk about a set point, another way of saying is like, this is what's normal for me. Now, where we want to be really clear here is that this is not the place where we go. And that's just how I am, right? Just because it's normal for us does not mean it doesn't, we don't have the power to shift the norm, right? So um, it was normal for me when I was a graduate student to like live off of 30 bucks a month. Like, I don't know how I did it, you know, but I was like able to make it on like zero funds. <laughs> it was just really good at, ju- at, you know, 99 cent cans of food, just like really making it happen while I was in graduate school. And, you know, that is not my norm. That's not my set point anymore. So if I had to go back to living the way that I lived in graduate school, it would be difficult because it's no longer my norm. In graduate school, it was the norm. So our norms can shift, right? So we're not beholden to what's normal. We just need to recognize it. Like this has become normal. So my body's following those feelings. My body's following that amount of life force that is normal for me to have in my body. My body is following the struggles, the ease, all of these things. My body is just following. And the reason why I'm saying the body is following is because when we think about how the subconscious plays into creation, manifestation, magnetizing, receiving, manifesting, whatever words we kind of put into it, that's how it works at the subconscious. The subconscious is simply following the normal program. It goes on operation. What makes the subconscious amazing is that it doesn't have to have a lot of, you know, like sit down and have a council meeting about it and everyone talk about your feelings and get it all. The subconscious is like super, super great. Like we've got to get this done. This is where we're going. Great. Follow what we know. 
follow the doors that are open, follow the pathways that have been created. And so that is how, such as like through muscle memory, we don't have to relearn to drive the car every day, right? The body follows the pathway that's already there. Our brain is following what it perceives what it's expecting from that normal place, right? So from the default mode network, from our reticular activating system, these aspects of the brain that are cued in to what has been set as norm. And so they follow that. They're filtering things out that don't match that. They're making sure we follow those perceptions. We follow those expectations. And that continues to create the same experience. Our sensory system, sensory system becomes attuned to following those norms, those set points, right? So our senses receive a certain way. They translate a certain way. They filter out a certain way, all based on what has become normal. So when we want to shift normal, we have to shift those inputs, right? We have to shift the experience of ourselves. And we also can shift the experience of expression or connection engagement, the experiences we might say that involve things outside of ourselves as well. But one of the great places to start with specifically shifting the norm of our burnout is to infuse ourselves with more resourcing, right? To just shift that input. So if we recognize at the base level that stress is not right or wrong, good or bad, Stress is simply a force that's asking for movement. The stress of burnout is how the lack of resources is asking you to move towards that resource or a resource. So what are some healthy resources that we can engage in? If you've done the burnout quiz, there are some that are listed for each of the burnout types, but I want to talk about some others that are really basic and ways that we can begin to support ourselves to find um, a different sense of normal, maybe a sense of normal that we've experienced that in our mind, right, is our story of normal, but that in our experience of self is not. So let me let me give you an example. So you may have an experience of yourself as being well rested, and that is your context of who you are normally is like, this is when I feel that well-restedness, when I look in the mirror and I don't look haggard and I don't have the bags under my eyes, I look well-rested, that's normal. But the experience that you're having over and over every day is not the context. And again, this is where we're in a mismatch, right? So my story of normal is that I'm, that it would be normal for me to be well-rested the actual lived inhabited experience is that I am very under-resourced in my sleep. I do not feel well-rested. I do not look well-rested. I am not operating from a well-rested place, right? So if we can begin to look at where we think our normal is or the story of our normal as what we are moving our normal towards or what we desire to kind of have as that set point, and then see where there's a mismatch and ask ourselves what resources needed. So if I look at that place and I just go, oh, more sleep is needed. Yes, that might be a place to do it, but I probably want to break it down a little bit more and get more curious. Is there a way that I need to put a different sleep routine in? Is there something um, 
in, ter- in terms of a supplement or, you know, different things that I need. You know, I was in the somatics world for over a decade and there was no talk at the time. And I do think this is shifting a little bit. I also think our worlds are intersecting and collapsing more. So, but there was no sort of like question about how the gut was operating when when we were doing all of this somatic works and I'm doing all of this body mind centering and I'm feeling into my spleen and, and, you know, to moving from the articulation of my small intestines, but there was no sort of like biophysical, like how is the actual biophysical aspect of your gut operating? So I think sometimes in these resourcing, if we just stay at the emotional level, if we just stay at the story level, we're missing the way that these regulatory set points have become, um, almost congealed or concrete in our body. So if we're looking at our sleep, yes, to looking at that invitation just for more hours, but honestly, if we haven't understood how to unlock the parasympathetic, and if we are just going from our high beta brain and then crashing we're actually probably not going to wake up very well rested. So looking at the resourcing and a little bit more nuanced and deep way is really important. So here's some things that I think are great resources for us to start with. Making sure that we're getting healthy fat and antioxidants for the brain. Really looking at hydration. This is like my mission in life right now is like to make sure I'm staying hydrated. Really, you know, dealing with electrolytes, minerals can be so important. Also things, you know, gut help for sure. So depending on what's going on with your gut, I'm not going to give any nutritional advice, but just, yeah, check it out. Check out what your gut's doing. (laughs) Maybe get some support there. Breath work for sure. You know, I'm going to talk about that. Nature, being out in nature, natural light. This one's a really important, especially if you're working in a place where there's fluorescent lights or a lot of artificial light, making sure you get natural light, ideally first thing in the morning. And again, towards the end of your day, if you can get out of artificial light and into natural light, it's going to really help your system. Excuse me, movement and stillness. We need both. (laughs) Um, Silence. And sounds, right? So also this way that sometimes we become a little militant in in how we're trying to support ourselves. And one of the things we're going to always want to recognize to have a neuroresilient system, we're going to need variety and we're going to need to be hitting both sides of the coin. So having some time in your day where you can be still. I also want to just say that stillness isn't necessarily about the container of the body not moving. Stillness is often about finding a place within the emotional storm, the chaos, the mental turmoil of finding a still point. And some of us are going to find that still point while the container of the body is moving and even becoming a little bit exhausted. So sometimes the best way to find stillness is going to be do the movement first, right? This is why yoga practice was designed the way it was. We do the poses so that we can lay down, right? So, and then silence the same way, like for some of us, depending on how your brain is, whether you've got different aspects of, of divergency, 
Uh, silence may not be turning everything off <laughs> of, in terms of external stimuli because that may dial up the internal stimuli, right? So silence for you may be working with white noise or brown noise or the crashing of the waves or even some type of music that then allows the silence inside to arrive. So sometimes we have to be really clear that it's not about performing the experience. It's not about how it looks. It's about coming to the essence. So resourcing is about getting down to the essence about what we're receiving. Contemplation is a great resource. And for those of us who tend to be warriors, finding the difference between rumination and contemplation is really, really important. So contemplation is going to open up the system to curiosity. It's going to invite inquiry and be a little playful, perhaps even a little cheeky in the way that we are looking at something and seeing it from multiple sides and looking at the micro lesson and the macro lesson and the intersections and the weavings. And worry is just trying to figure something out and control something. And so we want the contemplation to be a resource for us. Um, I love to think of this as kind of gold space for the brain. Other things we can do, if you are feeling flooded, meaning that you're feeling uh, that sort of heightened sense of being overtaken in your system, overwhelm, that can be a really great invitation to resource through creation. So coming into some sort of artistic practice, some sort of expressive practice can really help to resource you through that flooding place. If you're feeling numb, how do you invite a little bit of sensation, a little bit of feeling, maybe even working with touch, you know, going outside and putting your hands in the dirt, feeling different types of textures along your skin, and then inviting yourself to get in touch with any internal sensations that might be available as another way to tap into a different level of resourcing when we're in numbness. When we're tired, one of the best things we can do is invite some play this is super important because, again, if we just crash in these places of exhaustion, we're really not prepared to receive. And that means that even if we're getting enough sleep, that nourishment's not being received fully by our system because our system's not prepared to receive the nourishment. And so play can be a great way to open up to the nourishment of rest and rest, rest and relaxation restoring through sleep. So giving yourself an opportunity to play, to laugh, to roll around on the floor, to do something that invites the system to not have to not be tired, to not counter the exhaustion, but to also bring in a little bit of bolstering, a little bit of the wellspring. And when we're feeling in the drought, when we're feeling so dry and brittle and burnt and stuck, how can we invite ourselves to experience the present and invite support? So often in that place of the drought is where we're in the fullness of the experience of the burnout, where the output has been so great for so long. And we just are coming into this apathetic purposeless, what's the point, you know, it just is the like, not the best version of ourselves. 
if you've done the burnout quiz, you know that there are three types. And in this place of the drowning, the slow burn, which is the system that is trying to keep everything manageable and just keep everything in a simmer so it's not boiling over, you know, in this place of the drought, the slow burn just gives up and there's just a real collapse in the system. We've got the crash and burn, which is trying to get ahead of the next onslaught, always kind of mitigating or staunching the overflow. And when the crash and burn finally burns, it's like collapse, <laughs> like times a thousand, right? It really is this just crisp burningness of the system. And there is the sensory overload just takes us into shutdown. And there's just, there's no, there's absolutely no pathways to receive in that place. We're just, we kind of shut down, we go inert. And the short fuse is, you know, the system that's always going to fix it. They're going to make sure it's performed perfectly for everyone else. And that, you know, they just, they ignore their feelings to the point that they become so bitter. And so, frustrated and they feel so unseen and unheard. And so inside of that drought, it's really a place where the, the, their wills are just spinning around. Why can't I be seen? Why can't I be heard? No matter where our system is falling in this place of burnout, what we want to recognize is that we are crying out to receive connection. We are crying out to receive support we're crying out to have that place where connection is infusing us. And so that connection is with ourself. It's with our resourcing. And of course it's with other people because co-regulation is so important. So if you haven't taken the burnout quiz, even recently, I actually just did it again. And I identify most as a crash and burn system. But actually in this season, as I took the quiz just a few weeks ago, I uh, got short fuse. And it makes a lot of sense because these types, these three types are not personality traits. It's not a personality typing. It is a system ad adaptation typing. So it's showing us where our maladaptions are showing up. <clears throat> Excuse me, where our coping mechanisms are showing up. So it made sense to me that in this season where I am right now, uh, my maladaptions have shifted. Yay. And so for me in the shifting, I'm showing up in a, in a slightly different um, version of the maladaptions. So you might find that as well. You might find that in different seasons, you adapt in different ways. And you might also find that as you heal certain maladaptions, that the system is responding in a different way. I don't have a problem with us continuing to work with our maladaptions for the rest of our life. I don't think this is something we're going to arrive and be like, okay, complete, done, never have to worry about maladapting again. So I love to, again, use burnout as that gateway into deeper regulation. So that as I'm always going to be paying attention to how is my output going? Is it serving? Is it the type of expression 
creation, connection, co-regulation that lights me up, makes me feel great, has me living into the impact that I want to be making in the world, as well as am I fully resourcing in my inputs? Am I spending the time, the energy, the, am I taking the space? Am I really allowing myself to be fully lit up, fully fueled, fully nourished, fully resourced so that I have the opportunity to live as the fullest me. And I think sometimes we can get really stuck in looking at the season of our life and thinking, oh, because I have young kids, because this is the week that I have to do this report or all these things, that means I get to lessen or I have to lessen. Maybe it's something that I get to, like, I have to lessen my inputs. I don't get as much. And I just think we have to get out of that idea. And yeah, it's probably going to look different depending on what season of your life you're in. But I think that if we remember that the ultimate aspect of self-care is not what we're doing, it's the intention we have for supporting ourselves, for allowing ourselves to be nourished, supported, connected, held, loved, that we can keep bringing in the inputs. We can keep allowing ourselves to receive what we need. All right, that's it for today. We'll talk more about this at a different time. Um, If you haven't done the quiz or you haven't done it in a while, go ahead and take it again. I also have shifted it up a little bit. So you're going to get all three booklets this time. If you have done the quiz before, you just got the one that you typed at. We've switched it up. You're going to get all three booklets now so that you can have all the information about the three burnout types. You can look at how maybe you shift the maladaptions depending on what's up in your life, what season you're in or what you're healing. And hopefully this is going to give you some great information just to feel more empowered around letting those resourcings guide you, taking the time to shift the inputs, not allowing the old norms or the stuck norms that do not serve you just to be the way it is, but to really take your power back and believe that you get to receive what you need so that you're fully resourced Even if that just makes it through the day and then you got to start all over again tomorrow, that's okay. We can still let ourselves receive what we need. I hope this served you and I look forward to chatting with you again. Take care. Bye.